0: Good afternoon, and I appreciate you coming. We are in chapter three of Revelation. We will continue our one church a week study. We have gotten through the first four. We have three more to go. That's what chapter three is all about. We are going to start with the church of Sardis. We will then move to Philadelphia next week, and then we will end our church discussion in Laodicea. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch, and that you'll stretch forth your hand here this day. Lord, that you'll bless in a mighty and a special way. You'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. And again, I will say that, yes, each one of the seven churches is seven church ages, but each one of the churches has something to teach us in modern day because we can find modern day churches that falls right in line with all of the seven churches, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Chapter 3, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Now that's pretty strong words. You've got a reputation that you've got it to go and and you've got it together and there is nothing happening in your church. That's pretty strong. We will now visit the church of Sardis. Until now, this is the saddest of the letters to the churches. We will see something unusual compared to the other churches, whereas the other churches started out on the positive and then went to the negative. This church has no positives, except for a remnant. He that hath the seven spirits is like what we read in Revelation 1 and 4, and that says, John, to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. It says that they were in Asia, but we know that area as Turkey in modern day language. In Revelation 5 and verse 6, we read something of the seven spirits. "And And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. God delivers a pronouncement on this dead church. However, they did not know they were dead. Daniel Boone once was quoted saying, I've never been lost, but I was mighty turned around for three days. The difference, Daniel found a way out, the church of Sardis was dead, but believed they were alive. This dead is also the same dead as a corpse, which means there was no life left in it. Also, let me point out that this church had a reputation that it was alive. Other churches look to it and to this church for inspiration instead of looking to God. Don't be fooled by the facade But what does God think? Appearances can be deceiving. If you are seeking a church to attend, don't go by the reviews on Google, Facebook, or any other social media. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. If you're in a church that is a God-believing, Bible, as I like to call it, Bible-thumping church, Stay with that church. But if you're looking for a church, or if your church is dead like Sardis, and you'll know if your church is dead, because God, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, God will tell you. Pray about it. Seek the Lord's face. Now, I can tell you if you're looking for a church and you're in the Denver, North Carolina area, this, was a, this is a very good church to come to. Lakeside Church in Denver is a live church. We have a good time. And I know that that probably sounds a little foolish for a a church member to say, oh, we have a good time. We do have a good time here. We laugh and we cut up and we pick on each other. And we're just like a, a family. Sometimes we're a little dysfunctional. But just within a stone's throw of this church is a church that if it's not dead it's it's up sorely on life support and i'm not going to name names but the teaching and stuff that i've heard come from this church is not worth it now i've never a per, i've never personally went there i just know what i have seen and heard on facebook i've watched a little bit of their their services i've seen some clips and i'm like not that's not for me And no, I'm not looking for another church. I will be here at Lakeside until God tells me to move. But if God ever tells me to move, I want to be able to discern and say, yeah, it's God. But now hear me. If you're in a God-believing church, Satan will tell you to move. So you got to make sure it is from God. Don't just go by your feelings. Make sure it is from God. Christ, while talking to the Pharisees and scribes, told them that they appeared to be alive. They they had the appearance of life, but was a walking tomb. In Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, we read, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanliness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's what Christ said of the religious rulers of his day. You are white at sepulchers. You are, you're ornate, you're decorated. Oh, you look like you got it going on. But when you peel the curtain back, nothing. Isn't that a clear indication and a clear picture of some churches we know of today in this, in this country and in this world? And you don't have to go very far. There is an individual, and again, I am not gonna name names, but there is an individual from the West, actually from the Midwest, I guess, really, and he sends out this brochure, this pamphlet, if you will, to churches all across the country. And he is a prophetic pastor, he says. He believes, he, he tells that he's had the vision that there's going to be a storm hit the world. The storm is 100,000 miles wide. And it's got razor wind. And the wind will strip the flesh off of your bones. Oh, this is his vision. And he wants to come and talk to the church. Yeah, I know. There's what God says. And then there's what man says God says. And oftentimes they're not the same. And one of these days, God's going to peel the curtain back, if you will, on all of these individuals that say, well, God has sent me and he's gonna say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The angel, the minister, the, the, the pastor, the bishop, whatever, in the church of Sardis had allowed his church to die. It was no longer on life support, it was completely dead. Be watchful, verse two, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Be awake, not woke. Okay? We're not talking about the woke culture of today. He's telling them be watchful, be aware, be awake, be noticing things, be vigilant. This is what watchful means. God, through Jesus, is telling the church of Sardis to wake up and understand that little good that remains needs to be shored up. There was a little bit left in the remnant, but not a lot. Let it heal. If the church will do this, they can strengthen the good. But like a lot of churches, they would rather let the good starve and feed the bad. These feel good messages are no longer worthy to listen to. The pat on the back, you can live the way you want to, don't worry about it, God's good, he's not going to send you hell. I'll agree with that statement. God will not send us to hell. We do it to ourselves. But the feel-good messages of today, are, they should be over with. Churches are not the only ones. The individual members that make up the body of believers are feeding the wrong idea and concept. We are not told here what this little good was or how it was operating in the church, but suffice it to say that this church was on life support, and if things didn't quickly turn around, the church would flatline. We do read in two verses there was a godly remnant that had no, that had not sin stained their appearance, and there is always a remnant in First Kings nineteen and fourteen. It states. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. There's always a remnant. We need to seek those remnants out, and we need to sit as close to those remnants as possible, and we need to glean from them. In every culture and in every time, God has a remnant. Sardis is no exception, but it was very, very little left. In Sardis. Now, again, there is no commendation, as we have read in the previous four churches. None, no commendation. He went straight to the condemnation. Remember, therefore, verse 3, how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee remember how thou hast received and heard you got in by faith you stay in by faith but that faith needs to be exercised i know it says in in the scriptures not by works lest any man should boast but show me your faith by your works i'll show you my faith by my works or show me your works with your faith and i will show you my faith through my works I don't do what I do to get a pat on the back. I don't. If I did, look around. Not many here would we be doing this if this was all about me. No, this is about God's word and getting it out. You know, he told us to preach to everyone. And thank God we have the technology. You know, we, I, I truly believe that the pandemic was, was designed a little bit, if you will, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I believe it was designed a little bit to kill churches. But the technology was there and churches was able to rely on the technology and we was able to still get the word out. And we're still using the technology. We'd used the technology prior to the pandemic. We're still using it now that the pandemic is hopefully somewhat getting over. I do know that here in North Carolina, there's been several counties, well, most of every county has went up into the high range again, the red, but we're still able to use the technology. But that doesn't negate, well, actually, that does negate the experience of coming together and fellowship of one with another. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Now, if somebody you knew was gonna break into your house tonight, would you go to bed or would you sit up? I think most of us would probably sit up. And now whether or not you've got a weapon or not, I don't know and I don't care. But if you've got a gun, you're gonna have your gun. If you got a baseball bat, you're gonna have your baseball bat. You got a sword, you're gonna have your sword. If you knew somebody was gonna break into your house, you would be prepared he says i will come on thee as a thief thou shalt not know what hour i will come upon thee why do we have locks on our doors to keep the thieves out why do we lock the doors of a night when we're asleep because we're not guarding the house why do we lock the doors when we leave the house because we're not there to guard our property we have got to be about the father's business and we've got to guard the even more precious things than just our house and that's each other. That's our souls. We've got to be willing to teach and preach and to tell. Whether it's one person or a thousand people. Whether it's one person or 10,000 people. We've got to be willing to preach and teach. First Thessalonians 5 and 2 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Second Peter 3 and 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do you see a... Uh, a theme going here? In the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works with that therein, are in shall be burned up. I'm going to give you a freebie here tonight. This is not in my notes and this is not in, in the study really, but the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. We all know what a volcano can do. We've all seen volcanoes and pictures of volcanoes erupting. We, we see the molten lava, the molten rocks, but a volcano is not hot enough to melt the elements. So the fire that he's talking about in Second Peter 3 and 10 is even hotter than a volcano. Just something to hang your hat on. Revelation 16 and 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Christ tells the church of Sardis that they are not watching, they're not being alert and repenting over their sins. Then will he come with a, like a thief in the night, which represents quick and sudden judgment for disobedience. However, just as he has done in the past and will do in the future as well, as in our current time, he gives Sardis another chance, another option, repentance. He's telling them what's wrong with them, so that they can repent and make it right. See, Christ is Christ could make us follow him. God the Father could make us love him, but they are gentlemen and they're not going to make us. He wants us to do it on our own free will. He could make us do what is right 100% of the time, but that's not why we was created. We was created to worship him because we want to worship him and he gives us that option it's up to us to take that option it's up to us to cash that check if you will that's really the only thing you've got to play with here in in repentance and in the salvation story is what are you going to do with it are you going to accept it or are you just going to let it roll on by and just not even pay no attention to it? It's all, that's up to us. We can't be saved ourselves. We have to rely on Christ. But Christ dying on the cross doesn't benefit us unless we accept it and accept what he done on the cross of Calvary. I'm not saying that the dying on the cross doesn't benefit us but we have to accept it for it to benefit us fully. Hopefully I made that clear. I don't want to get a note saying, oh, well, you're wrong. I I am wrong at times, and I will admit that I'm wrong at times, but I know that I have to accept what Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary for me to make it to heaven. That's not Robert's words. That's God's words. That's what he's told us. Verse 4, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There are a remnant in Sardis that has not defiled or been disobedient, God's remnant. He will dress the godly in white raiment that only the redeemed are worthy to wear. Jesus, once he was resurrected, wore garments that were white and they shined. Matthew 28, verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment, white as snow. At the transfiguration in Matthew 17 and 2, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Mark 9 and 3 records the garment at the transfiguration as and his raiment became shining, Exceeding white as snow so as no fuller on earth can whiten them a fuller was an individual that whitened clothes. He was basically the launderer, if you will. We will be as he is so our garments will also be as white as snow. Now as a side note, snow is white because of the many facets of the ice crystal that makes up the snow it does not just reflect one of the colors of light back into our eyes but instead all of the colors of the spectrum of light gets to our eyes so we see it as white this means that the bible is not racist as some would purport but instead all colors are welcomed into the kingdom because and i have actually heard this you're black with sin but you're white with salvation oh that's racist you have got to be kidding me. As my father-in-law would say, oh my aching back. It's not racist. White just represents purity. Black represents dirt, contamination. All of the colors bounce back into our eyes. That's the reason why we have white. All of the colors get absorbed. That's why we have black. That's simple, it's physics. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. One of the controversial scriptures of Revelation, if you will, for those of us that endure until the end we will be like Jesus and we too will wear white. White as the light. This is just one of the many benefits to serving Christ. We each will be given new garments, new coverings, new everything as we are taken to heaven. Matthew 22, verses 12 through 14 specifically tells us that any that does not have the proper garment will not be allowed into the wedding feast. The king had prepared a a wedding and he had sent out his invitations and all of the people that were supposed to come had come up with an excuse oh i just bought a new pair of horses i've got to trial mount oh well i just got married and i've got to do this well i've got to do this well i've got to do we can find excuses my father-in-law who was our pastor at the other church he once told me that uh, and i don't think it was him but a friend of his had went and knocked on the door and, and asked said uh, well sister why weren't you at church the last several weeks? And the lady looked at him and said, We was out of mayonnaise. And the pastor went, Out of mayonnaise? what's that got to do with it? She said, Well, any excuse beats none at all. We can come up with excuses. Now, if you're sick, stay at home. Be selfish. We don't want, we don't want you to share your illness, okay? We want you to stay at home. But if you're tired, you'll be tired at church. If you're upset, what better place to be than in God's house? Think about it. We all use them. I've been guilty of using excuses. Kingsman wrote two songs. I love the Kingsman. They wrote two songs. One was excuses and the other one was more Excuses. They actually said right before they sang the second one, the more excuses, said, well, we put in, uh, what was it, we bought cars with the first one, we're gonna put in swimming pools with the second one. The first one actually says, well, the poor kid has a cold, pneumonia, do you suppose, why everybody in the family had to stay home and blow that poor kid's nose. We can use excuses. Another line in that says, well, that preacher we have must be the world's most stuck up man. One of the ladies told me just the other day he didn't shake my hand. Excuses, the devil will supply them. If from church we'll stay away, so we can all have excuses. And the king, he had sent out the invitation, and people had come up with excuses. But the interesting thing about those scriptures. The king and his servants, according to ancient traditions, provided the wedding garments. In the rest of that scriptures, we see where they went out onto the highways and and compelled them to come in. They brought in the maimed and the halt and the lame and all of these people that normally wouldn't show up to a king's feast and they provided them with the clothing so that they could sit in the king's presence. You didn't go into the king sad, and you didn't go into the king in a dirty clothes. You just, that did not happen. The king comes out and he sees one individual kind of stood out like a sore thumb that didn't have on the wedding garment. He went and he asked the person, he said, why don't you have on the wedding garment? And the guy had no reason, he had no excuse. He was given the wedding garment. He was just too lazy to put it on. So the king threw him out, threw him out of the feast. The king and the servants gives the wedding garments. This individual who was being addressed here in the scriptures had not bothered to accept the gift and put the garment on that the king had provided. We are guilty of that. Oftentimes we don't accept the gift that the king of kings and the lord of lords has given us. And those that are still living in the world, they never accepted the ultimate gift, and that's salvation. That's Christ on the cross of Calvary. The next part of the scripture, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, gives some some consternation. Some will interpret this portion of the scripture that, to mean that Jesus is promising the ones saved to never blot their name out of the Lamb's book of life and yes it does mean that however the saved will never be removed but the once saved always saved uses this to say that you cannot lose your salvation however if that's what this portion means that no matter what the saved cannot lose their salvation would show Jesus was just making an idle threat here. I will not block your name out of the lamp out of the book of life. That would be an idle threat if you could not be removed. Now Christ is not going to remove you. The world's not going to remove you. Your pastor's not going to remove you. You are going to remove yourself. Now I'm a Christian. And I lose my temper sometimes and I think things that I shouldn't think. That does not mean that I'm losing my salvation. It's when I live in that lifestyle of constantly losing my temper, constantly thinking things I shouldn't think. When I remove myself from the lifestyle of Christ and I put myself back into the world and I stay there without ever asking for repentance, that's when my name would be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Yes, you can be saved and always saved, but you have to live it. You can't live like Satan and expect to get into heaven. Why would Christ say for those that overcome, he would not blot out their names from the book of life if you could never lose your salvation? No, Christ does not make empty threats or unfulfilled promises. If you're a Christian, you're saved, or you're washed by the blood of Christ, and you say, do, or think something contrary to God's word, you die that instant, or the rapture takes place, you can still make it. But if you live an ungodly lifestyle, or you continually to live a lifestyle not worthy of Christian, if you go back to your ungodly lifestyle after becoming a Christian and you stay there and you do not ask for repentance, your name can be blotted out. If we endure and overcome until the end, Christ himself will announce us in heaven to God the Father, to the angels that minister to God, as well as to the four twenty-four 24 elders around the throne. Christ will say, he's one of mine, she's one of mine. Let them come in. Verse 6, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Sardis was not one of the better churches. Maybe at one time, Sardis had been on the right track, but something had happened to them along the way. The world came in, and instead of casting it out, they embraced it and embraced the worldly ways. Sardis was no longer for God. They had died they just not laid down yet. Oh, they kept up the appearances, but appearances can be deceiving. The church was morally decayed, except for just a few people that believed God could and would do what he said. Archaeologists have dug up an ancient temple in this area, in the land of Sardis. What was interesting, right next door to the ungodly temple Right next door to the ungodly temple was a Christian church foundation. They built next to the temple, not God's temple, but the temple of Artemis. Is this the church that the letter went to? Well, I don't know, nobody else does, but it is striking that it was discovered In the digging up of of Sardis, they discovered this church was right next to the temple. We're supposed to come out from among them and be ye separate. Not isolated, but be separate. Would you like to build right beside of a bar? Would you like to build your church right next to a bar? Kind of noisy. Kind of ridiculous, if you will. And most places in the United States has a rule that says, you know, what, 300 feet, I think it is, a bar can, or somebody operating a, a liquor license cannot operate within 300 feet of a church or a school. Pretty decent little rule, but now they're trying to change all of that, of course. The of of describe a Christ as having the appearance of being alive, but was dead. Strong rebuke because this church was nothing positive written about it. The members were no longer on fire for God, they were just going through the motions and apparently not going through the motions very well. Sardis was located approximately 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It was on a major trade route known as a highway that ran east and west of the region known as Lydia. It was known for jewelry, dye and textiles and pagan worship. A temple of Artemis, just as in Ephesus, was located here. Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, wild animals, nature, vegetation, childbirth, young children, and even animals, the moon, and chastity. Interesting, however, is the fact that next door to this temple have been uncovered the ruins of a Christian church. Instead of being separate, the Christians at Sardis was next-door neighbors to the pagan worship of Artemis. The United States, a bar or a place that sells alcohol, is in a lot of places not allowed to be within 300 feet of a church. However, in the ancient city of Sardis, the church and the temple were next-door neighbors. Hey, can I borrow a cup of sugar? I need some incense. You got some I can borrow? That's how close they were which one was built first we do not know and we don't know if the church that was that one was the letter written to but we can speculate that it was indeed the church the church that they dug up the foundation was a fairly good sized church so it was probably the main church of sardis more than likely the church that they dug up next to the temple of artemis was indeed the church that this letter went to currently a small village named sart s-a-r-t is at this location sardis was once the capital city of the region of lydia and was a strong military and industrial city during john the revelator's time it was extremely wealthy However, it was abandoned and destroyed completely around 1400 A.D. Okay, now to put that in context, Christopher Columbus sailed in 1492 A.D. Sardis was around until about America was discovered to get a kind of an idea of what was going on. A once thriving and industrial city that streams ran with gold, lay desolate and ruins for some time before it began to be resettled. In its peak, the stream, Pactolus, carried gold dust in its waters and was where the metallurgist of Sardis discovered a way to separate gold from silver and producing both metals of high purity. It was in Sardis where modern currency was invented since the gold and silver was the purest possible and minting these metals into currency was begun. Because of this ability to mint gold and silver known around the region for the purest of both, this made Sardis very rich and famous as well as a political powerhouse. Rich, famous politics, but not known for its Christianity. Not true Christianity, known for the appearance of Christianity. I hope that when I pass away and I go to the gate, someone doesn't look at me and go, who are you and what are you doing here? Got several grandchildren and one of my grandsons, when I walk into the house, he'll look up at me and he'll say, Gramps, who are you and what are you doing walking into your own house? And my response is usually, I have no idea. And me and him just joke and laugh and cut up about it. But I hope I don't hear that when I try to walk through the pearly gates. Excuse me, but who are you? I hope I don't hear them say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I hope I hear him say, welcome, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of God. Of the Lord. That's what I hope to hear. That's the way I'm living my life. That's what I'm striving for. The church of Sardis, they didn't care. They did not care. And that's the sad part about it. And the reason I say that they did not care. Is because they knew. What was going on in their church. And they allowed it to happen. They knew they were dead. They knew that the Holy Spirit wasn't operating and moving in their behalf. You go, oh wait, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Oh yes, the Holy Spirit was there in all of these churches or could have been there in all of these churches, but they, he wasn't in Sardis. Well, how do you figure? Well, Christ had already rose. He had already ascended and he said, I go away so that the comforter will come. The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit at this time was in in the world, walking and moving just as he is in our world. They didn't care. Hopefully, if you do go to a church that doesn't care, you'll, you'll understand that it's the church of Sardis and you'll get up and leave. You'll move. I'm not proselyting at all. I'm just telling you that if you are in a dead church, you need not to be there it is your responsibility if that man or that woman that's preaching and teaching is not preaching and teaching god's word it is your responsibility for your own salvation and your own soul and if you're allowing the man and the or the woman that's preaching to be the only one that feeds you you're not feeding yourself how do you go a week without eating I can't go many day, hours without eating. And if you come by the house, there's probably something in my hand that I'm either drinking or I'm eating. And by drinking, it's a Mountain Dew. It's nothing hard liquor or anything. It's a Mountain Dew. So you can tell that I like to eat. So going a day or two, just it destroys me. Our spirit is more important. Our soul is more important. Are we feeding the spirit man? Or are we starving the spirit man? The church of Sardis was starving the spirit man. They were rich, but not with God. Man's world, oh, they had it going on. It was a happening place. But not in the letter. See, you don't want God to tell you what's wrong. That's the reason why nobody asks him, Lord, reveal to me what's wrong with me. you That's a hard question because God will reveal it. We don't like to hear it. And we don't like to listen to it. So I encourage you, go back and study the five churches that we've already studied. Smyrna, Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, what's the other one, Pergamos, I always forget it, not in the order that it came, but we've got two more to go, Philadelphia and Laodicea, everybody knows about Laodicea, everybody knows that one, but trust me, we really should know more about Philadelphia, and we should more strive to be the church of Philadelphia. But that's next week. I'll give you a little teaser. That's next week. But you want to be in the church. You want to be in a church of Philadelphia. Do you love it, Lord? Any questions or comments? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you move and that you touch, Lord, that you stretch forth your hand on each and every one. That is here tonight, Lord, that has watched on Facebook or that will watch, Lord, on Facebook or YouTube or wherever they may hear this message. Lord, that you'll move and touch, Lord, and that your spirit will go out and draw all men to you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.